We all want more ideal clients, but how do you get more of them to land in your inbox? Well, let me tell you, friend, it is not magic, but it's also not as simple as cold DMing planners and upgrading your branding. In this episode, Katie and I are going to talk about what goes into an ideal client avatar, how you can communicate messages to trigger those ideal clients, and why some messages connect and others don't. Stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss this short, deep dive that gives you a blueprint for getting better inquiries with bigger budgets. Oh, really quick, before we begin the program in 15 seconds, if you're a wedding planner and you're listening to this before November 7 of 2023, check out BreakthroughWeddingPlanning.com in the show notes for more information on the wedding planning training program I partnered on with Megan Gillikin from the Planner's Vault. We've got a step-by-step program to show you how to charge higher prices so you can make more with every date on the calendar and get some of those weekends back. Now, on to the episode. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Katie Taylor Jacobson, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I know you got a lot going on. We've got some new team members that we're onboarding and lots of copywriting projects. So thanks for sharing your expertise today. Thank you for having me. You know, last time I was on, it was summertime. And today is definitely fall. We have you know, leaves of every color outside and it's kind of gray and overcast and a little chilly. And anyways, I've got my little hazelnut latte here next to me. And <laughs> you really, I do, I do. I'm happy as a clam and I'm excited to be on the podcast today. I mean, nothing says, you know, fall turning into, you know, comfy conversation than doing a podcast with your husband. Nothing says it. Listen, the coffee's helping. Let me, let me tell you, the coffee is definitely helping. <laughs> well, thank you for making room in your schedule. We have a couple of new copywriters that we're onboarding this week and next, and we've got a lot of clients that we're working through. So I know you and the team are busy, but it's really important for us to put out the good word about some of the things that our audience needs to know more about. And that today is going to be about messaging. What's interesting about this topic is that we kind of beat around the bush a little bit with it in a lot of different episodes. And when you and I were reviewing the outline for this episode, you said, well, haven't we talked about this? And I said, oh yeah, we've talked about it here and there, but we haven't done just a solid podcast episode specifically on messaging to your ideal client. And so I want to do that here because when we put polls out and we get feedback from our audience, and when I, I mean our audience, meaning like could be social media, could be newsletter, could be just the conversations that you and I have. The number one thing consistently is how do I attract more ideal clients? And how do I put out better messages? How do I communicate the right messages to attract those clients? And so we want to make sure that we're able to deliver all of that information in just one episode. So here we are. And thanks for making it happen with me. Yeah, no, listen, happy to talk about it. It is um, it is a topic that, yes, we have touched on in various podcasts, but you know, Sometimes you just need to hear something like one more time or said a slightly different way and it all clicks. 
So I'm hoping that, because I do think it is a topic that people still still have questions about or need clarification on. And so hopefully today's uh, episode does that. Well, good. Well, let's Let's jump right in. I want to talk about three things today, and we're gonna we're gonna flip the script. You're gonna interview me, give you all of the favorite. <laughs> it is, it is your favorite. I know you love doing it, and and I like being put on the spot. Um, and we're gonna cover three things, and we're gonna cover what goes into an ideal client avatar. What are these things that we call messages, and why do some messages work and others don't? Why do some trigger your ideal client and others don't? So. I'm going to hand over the mic and let you take control of the conversation. Yeah, let's start with uh, talking a little bit about the buyer, the ideal client. Um, We hear that term a lot, Sam. What exactly does ideal client mean? You know, ideal client is different for everybody. But when we go through and think about what are the criteria that most people end up choosing when they pick their ideal clients, It comes down to three P's, price, personality, and project. So can the client afford your services? Are they going to be easy or fun to work with? And is the project itself going to be something that lights your fire? Does it inspire you? Does it challenge you? And probably, most importantly, does it add to your portfolio in a way where you can use it to leverage more aspirational clients in the future. So an ideal client could be different for different people, but it typically lands with those three criteria at the center. Does somebody have to have all three Ps to be considered an ideal client? Yes, if it's an ideal client. Now, for it to be a client that you take on, you don't have to have all three of them. I think you've got to have price, like I'll be able to afford your services, and either the project or the person's got to be somebody that you really like. Now, I will say there is one caveat to that, and that is that maybe you know, you're know hard up for work, maybe things are super slow, or maybe you find a really exciting project with a couple that you love that's going to grace the cover of you know Vogue. And so you decide that price isn't the highest priority. But for the most part, you're going to want to have two out of the three Ps, and you're going to want to have price be one of them. So how does somebody come up with an ideal avatar for their company? Do they just kind of pluck it out of thin air? Do they, you know, brainstorm what an ideal client would look like? And like, you know, I've had clients come to us and say, oh, that's great that you come up with an ideal avatar for me, but I've already got mine. And they send me like 30 pages of notes of where this buyer shops and (laughs) what the buyer is having for their coffee in the morning and a ton of stuff. So how does somebody come up with an ideal avatar? Uh, yeah, I, I, there's lots of different ways to do it. Everybody's got their own. Uh, we, we have our, our approach and our approach is based on buyer psychology. It's really f- heavily focused on psychographics and, and also ethographics, more so than say demographics. So demographics are kind of the surface level. And, and when you go deeper than that, you get down to these ethographics. Ethographics are values and beliefs that your ideal client has. And then below that, even further down are psychographics. And these are the attitudes and behaviors that can best describe your ideal client. And so it's really important to have a a good understanding and an in-depth understanding of who your ideal client is, what they believe in and how they behave and what their attitudes towards life are. Now, how do you come up with that? 
the best way to do that is to go back and look at your favorite clients and start with a list of how would you describe what they valued, what was important to them. Also, you can focus on their their beliefs. What was it that they shared with you that was really, really important, essential to who they were? And then you can dig into their their attitudes and their behaviors. You know, what did they do? What did they say? How did they act? And and frankly, you're trying to get at what motivates them. And when you do that, when you know who your ideal client is by looking at your favorite client, you can then go through with those characteristics and you can create a composite. And that's what that avatar is. So you mentioned beliefs. Is that sometimes false beliefs? Is that sometimes things that they wrongly believe about, you know, weddings or your particular vendor category? Yeah, I think it could be. You know, so many couples who are getting married and probably most of them, they're doing a big celebration or doing this for the first time. And like all consumers, they are exposed to marketing messages. Some of them are are good, solid ones that will help them get where they want to go to solve their biggest problems. Other times they're not and they're, they're misdirection or they're misconceptions that are being communicated through people who also are, are rookies or amateurs at what it is that, that they need to know for, for weddings. And so, you know, th- there could be these false beliefs that are out there that are clouding or muddying the waters. And you've got to make sure that you understand what those are and find a good way to have a conversation or, or at least prime them with your marketing ahead of time so that you can get them to see things a little clearer by the time they get to you. So you mentioned the importance of going beneath those surface demographics, getting to the ethographics and the psychographics. Why is that so important? The, the simple fact is that human beings are motivated by any number of, of different desires. And if you peel back the layers of what drives people to do things, you'll get at these core psychological motivations. And what I learned in, in my Applied Behavioral Economics program that I'm at in one of these courses that was specifically about how to create messages that trigger your ideal clients, there are nine of them. So we're really looking for what top, you know, two, maybe three triggers are going to be super important to your ideal client. When you know what those triggers are, then you can start communicating messages to reach those triggers. Now, let's make this a little more concrete. So for instance, I personally am motivated by empowerment. Okay. That's that's something that's really, really important to me. Empowerment is kind of this combination of having the skills to do something and having the freedom and independence to do it. So I'm motivated by those things, having the skills and the freedom and independence to do it. So when you market something to me and it hits those desires, I'm like, boom, yes, sounds good. Let's do it. If you market something else that say is about, I don't know, belonging, I'm just picking something out of thin air, where it's about being around other people and connecting with those other people, I'm not going to be triggered. So to deepen this and to make this even more concrete, let's say you were owner of a travel company and you wanted to communicate message to somebody like me. You would want to focus on empowerment and not belonging. The worst thing you could do is show a picture of, say, like a tour bus of people 
or a guy and walking around with a group of people through a city. That would be awful. The city itself is not uh, uh, an image or an environment for freedom. And being stuck into a bus is limiting and being on a tour guide's itinerary sounds awful. Now, for me, if you showed me a picture like being on the open ocean on a sailboat, for instance, that would really trigger me in a positive way. I would see that image. I would hear more about that service. And I'd be like, yeah, that's the kind of travel I want to do. It lights me up in a good way. So it's really important to know what triggers your ideal client positively and negatively so that you can avoid the negative ones and really focus on the positive messages. So you keep using the word messages, and I want to dig into that a little bit because I think sometimes people assume one thing and it's really something else. So are messages and copy the same thing? No, no. Messages and copy are not the same thing. Messages are the solutions that you offer that resolve clients' problems. And when I say problems, I mean things like needs, desires, issues, concerns, fear, uncertainty, doubt, whatever, whatever it is. Whatever it is that your client wants most, your messages are the solutions that you offer. And you can communicate that in any number of ways. Copy is one of those. Copy is is um, uh, how you connect words to those feelings, those emotions, those desires that your client has. But messages can be images too, right? I go back to what I just mentioned with you know, being you know in a city on a tour group, that could be a photo or a video clip compared to, say, a photo or a video clip of somebody out on a sailboat in the middle of the GNC. Those are communicating messages without using any words. So it's the the most I would then assume the most impactful messages are when you can not only show but tell, both through the copy and through the images. Yeah, connect together um, to to move the reader. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, that's that's what we really want to do. We want to make sure that everywhere they look, they're they're being subtly or subconsciously primed to see that that you one get them and two know how to give them what it is that they want most. And and that that's essentially what a message is. It's a subconscious trigger for that that person, that buyer, that couple to feel a desire for your services. So let's make this even more concrete for anybody listening. Can you give some examples of, of messages, effective messages? Yeah, so, so let's, let's bring up um, uh, photography. So one of the things that we hear over and over again, I mean, how many times have we heard this, that the couple is nervous in front of the camera or awkward in front of the camera? I mean, we've done over 100 websites for photographers and videographers over the last few years where would you rank this, Katie, in like the number one, two, three, four, ten concerns that couples have when it comes to photography or videography? I mean, if you were to assume that they liked the photographer's style already, then it's number one. Number and one. It's not, and it's number one universally, whether somebody is ultra luxury, luxury, mid-market, the, the couple cares deeply that they look beautiful in in the end result, you know, the photograph and that they actually feel beautiful or feel good while taking the photograph. Okay. So that then is the biggest desire right, or concern, right? Feeling awkward would be a concern. Feeling beautiful would be a desire. It, we have episodes in our podcast that talk about the differences between positive and negative framing, but let's just assume that it's all kind of the same thing in here. 
So the desire or concern is feeling nervous in front of the camera or feeling awkward or feeling beautiful in front of the camera. So that's the problem that the client has, okay? And that then becomes the biggest thing that you want to tell them that you do and that you take care of, that you can solve for them. So your message would be that you make them feel comfortable or beautiful in front of the camera. And you do that so that they can look their best for all the photos or the video that you're going to end up producing for their wedding. So the desire or concern is what you are addressing with your message. If a couple feels nervous in front of the camera, you make them feel comfortable in front of the camera so they can look their best. Perfect. Perfect example. So, you know, I I know the answer to this, obviously, but I'm curious um, if, if you have a different uh, thought to it. So, how many of these messages should somebody be trying to communicate, um, whether that be on their website or through social media? Um, how many of these, these almost like rumors do you want to spread about yourself? You know, more the merrier, I think, is good to continue to communicate, you know, a lot of messages. But at some point, we run into a ceiling that limits the amount of uh, recognition that people have in your brand. And if if the marketplace wasn't so crowded, you could you could spread all the messages you want in in lots of different topics. But because there's so many other people who are out there doing the same thing as you, you really want to be known for just a handful of things. So it could be, you know, a set of three, four, five maximum maybe of six messages that you're going to want to communicate over and over and over again. And these become, you know, your content pillars that that you post about on social media and on your website and your sales process you talk about on your proposal, et cetera, et cetera. You really want to focus on four or five, you know, maybe six of these so that you can you can, you know, target those core messages over and over and over and over again. And that repetition will end up making an impact in your audience. And where do you share these messages? Are we, I mean, I kind of mentioned a couple of things, but, you know, where and, and I guess where and how are you sharing these messages? Every, every opportunity you can in the buyer's journey. So you're sharing them, uh, you know, all the way through with, you know, your, your photos, with your copy, uh, could be films, could be conversations and talking points that you have. You're, you're sharing them in every way you possibly can. Um, and, and you can even do it in in more subtle ways, and and this is something that, that that we feel pretty proud about that we do that we know a lot of other designers don't necessarily incorporate is that we're communicating messages with the design on the site, and and hoping that the reader, the ideal client, feels connected to the quote unquote message that we're communicating. So as an example of this, we know that the relator buyer type, for instance, seeks harmony above all else. They want everybody to feel good about being in, in the group, being t- together and connected. And so they want that that harmony to be experienced for themselves wherever they are. They, they, they want a calm shopping experience. They want a, a peaceful environment to, to make a decision in. And so when you're on a website, for instance, which is an online store, you, you want to create that peaceful environment. And you can do that by reducing movement, by reducing uh, you know transitions, by reducing calls to action or 
slideshows or videos that run automatically or GIFs that are constantly going. Um, this is a way that you can communicate through the design what it is that you help to do, which is to create a calm, peaceful environment for them during the, the client journey. So that's, that's a, a subtle way that you can communicate the messages. For the sales process, for instance, you can also subconsciously communicate these messages to your client. For instance, let's say you're a planner and you claim to reduce, I don't know, hassles, which is one of the big values that you can create for your buyers. So one of the things you can do when you're guiding them through the sales process is you can show this potential client that you reduce hassles by making things easier for them, by simplifying the process, by eliminating the noise. So you can consolidate the emails instead of going back and forth with them. You can create an opportunity for them just to click through and put a date and time on your calendar with a scheduling link instead of emailing back and forth with opportunities to try and connect. Um, when you give them a contract, you can make it easy for them to sign, uh, especially on their phone, uh, or maybe to forward on to the person who's going to sign it. Um, you can also make it easy to pay. Make it, make it easy to pay with a smaller deposit that's approachable for that, or with a credit card that allows them to use their normal way of paying that's already in their, their computers. What, whatever it is, you're reducing the hassles. If, if, for instance, the opposite occurs and you you say, I help you reduce the amount of time, energy, and stress that you put into wedding planning, and then you make it hard for them to schedule an appointment with you, or you force them to email back and forth over and over and over again, or you require a huge deposit and they can only pay with non-credit card options, and they have to log into a portal to sign a contract or forward over the contract. These are all things that are the opposite of reducing the hassle. They make more hassle. So it's easy to pick up on when you communicate the opposite and it's subconsciously felt when you do communicate what it is that you're trying to share with them. So, I mean, effectively you should and could put messages out everywhere then. Everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And, and, you know, all of these different areas that we talked about, social media, website, blog post, sales process, you name it, all those areas for sure. But I would also put out, and this kind of bonus tip, is to make sure that you're starting word of mouth because your best referrals are, or your best business is going to come from referral. Uh, your highest conversion rates are going to come from referral. And so when you go to networking events and people ask you what you do, this is when you start priming them and communicating the messages. You know, we, we do this. One of our big messages is that we, we show you how to book more clients by using behavioral psychology rather than luck or charisma or natural ability or a carbon copy of what I did to book a lot of clients. And so when people ask me what I do, I let them know that I'm a student of behavioral economics, that I'm enrolled in a program, that here's a fun, interesting fact that I just learned today or I read about yesterday or you know, that one of my clients saw, you know, successful for them. But the stories that I tend to tell, like I'm doing literally right now, not so subconsciously that I'm making you aware of it, is that I'm sharing with you one of our messages, which is that we dig into the science behind how your couples make decisions. And so 
these are the kind of things that I'm talking about at networking events because that's our that's our brand, that's our message, that's our reputation, that's what we're trying to communicate. And we do it over and over and over again. Now, you want to do the same thing when you go to a conference like Engage or you go to a WIPA event or somebody reaches out and says, I love your work and I'd love to share it more with my clients. You know, can you can you share something with me? That's when you want to start. You want to begin with what it is you're trying to share with them as a big theme that that you contribute to the success of your clients. All good information. So I'm curious, for somebody listening, what would you recommend the first thing they should do after listening to this podcast? First thing to do, it, and, and this is kind of ironic because it, we're coming up on seven years now that we've had this company, ID Action Consulting, and I remember I reached out to a colleague of mine, a coach, and when I asked her, what, what advice would you give me starting out? She said to me, start with your ideal client. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Ideal client, my ideal client. But that's my advice to you. Listen to this podcast. Start with your ideal client. Dig into the ideal client. Build that profile, that avatar from the ground up, from the inside out, from the very, very beginning of what it is that they have inside of them, those emotional and social needs. Focus on the things that your perfect buyer does with their heart, with their gut, with their instinct, not with their heads. Okay, with their heart, not with their heads. Because when you know their desires, you, you can then come up with the way that you meet those desires with the solutions, with the services that you offer. So that's the that's the first place that I'd start. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, and Katie, you know this because we do this over and over and over again with our clients. It's not always easy. It is not always easy. And so we hope that with this particular episode, you all have a better understanding of what goes into your ideal client and how to come up with messages and, and where you should share them. But if you DIY it and you get stuck or you run into a situation where you don't feel like it's very compelling, or, or maybe you, you just want to push the easy button, please reach out. We do this all the time. We do this for hundreds of clients every year. We create ideal client avatars and messaging hierarchies. And yes, of course, we translate that into copy for the website. But you've all got key elements to get started on your own. So go out and give it a shot. See how far you get. Katie and I both hope that you get incredibly far. But if you do get stuck, please reach out. We would love to help. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short. But I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through.